And, uh, and do that. You can take your seats. And as Nathan says, my name is Paul Maritagini. Together we're lead pastors of Icon Church. And we're um, uh, in our Vision Sunday. And, and we're doing a, a vision kind of series on this theme, Future Notes, a made-up word that really just means we sail the future and we discover the future. And uh, before I just dive into it, I just want to say, you know, on Sunday nights we have this tradition don't we have partying out? But what I loved about tonight, the whole worship felt like a party. Like, uh, just me? I don't know, but it just, the whole thing felt like we were celebrating, we were partying, and I think that's how it should feel. Party. Jesus loves a party. He was always at them, and so we love that. But we're in our Vision Sunday and Vision Series, Future Notes, And our vision, as Nathan said, as a church, is all about human flourishing and people flourishing in their relationship with Jesus. And sometimes when you talk about vision and you come to Vision Sunday, a lot of what you've got to say is about the church going wider. You know, there's a lot more stuff that we're going to do. There's a lot more things. Maybe we're going to launch new campuses or new ministries. And there was some of that today. And, you know, there's a big emphasis. I know in the past we've done that where we've stood up and said, we're going to launch Derby. We're going to plant into Sheffield. We're going to uh, do other things. And there's been great excitement because as a church, you could see that we were expanding and we were getting wider. But, you know, I just get a sense that we're in a season where our growth isn't just about going wider, but God is taking us deeper. And a lot of our vision today is about God taking us deeper. And I want to tell you tonight why God is taking us deeper, because he's determined to take us wider. You know, and we all know that when the foundation is strong, you can build absolutely anything on top of it. And so God's taking us deeper in our lives. He's taking us deeper in our families, in our relationship with him. And that's why I guess in this today, both these messages are focused a little bit around that um, sense of our relationship with God. And so this morning we talked about rest and peace and Jesus saying, come to me. You can find rest for your souls. And like has already been said, there's resources, I think, to help us on our followjesus.uk website to help us this way. And tonight I want to turn to a passage where the Apostle Paul, who's one of the main writers of the New Testament, who wrote many letters to many churches, is writing to a church in a place called Corinth in Greece, And the church in this moment is divided. There are factions. People in the church are saying, I like this preacher. I like that preacher. I like it when we do this song. I like, I can see a victory. I like dancing like that. I like dancing like this. And there's all kinds of division in the church about different things. But Paul goes to the root of the problem. And I think what he says And what the scripture teaches us can really help us today because I think we've still got the same problem today. It's not that we've got division in Icon Church, but the same problem creeps today. And so Paul talks about the problem of the human ego, of human ego. Just turn to you, the person next to you and say, have you got an ego? The truth is we've all got an ego. (laughs) The definition of an ego is a person's self-esteem. 
And uh, I've got a balloon that's going to help me illustrate. I don't know if I'm going to be able to keep it on the, on the thing. But sometimes our self-esteem can be deflated. We can have low self-esteem. And sometimes it can be over-inflated. And Paul deals with that problem of ego in this passage. So we might come back to the balloon later. <laughs> Let me read some verses for us. First of all, from 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 16 to 23. He says, do you not know that you, he's talking to the whole congregation here when he says you, you, are God's temple and God's spirit lives amongst you. Don't just think about church as a club or anything. No, this is God's temple. God lives among us and among his people. And if anyone destroys you, God's temple, God will destroy that person. For God's temple is sacred and you together are God's temple. Do not deceive yourselves. If any of you think you're wise by the standard of this age, you should become fools so that you may become wise. For the wisdom of this world is foolishness in God's sight. As it is written, he catches the wise in their craftiness. And again, the Lord knows the thoughts of the wise are futile. So then, no more boasting about human leaders. All things are yours, whether it's Paul or Apollos or Cephas, which is another way of saying Peter, or whether it's the world or life or death or the present or the future, all are yours and you are of Christ and Christ is of God. And then he carries on in the next chapter, chapter four, verses one to three. This then is how you ought to think about us. Remember, they were arguing about, I'm of Paul, I'm of Apollos. I'm of Peter. Peter discipled me. Paul discipled me. I was there right at the beginning when Paul was here. No, I, like it was Apollos who discipled me. And they had these factions in the church. He said, no, this is how you ought to regard us. We're just servants of Christ. And those who have been entrusted with the mysteries that God has revealed. Now it is required that those who have been given a trust prove faithful. And then he says this, I care very little if I am judged by you or any human court, indeed, I do not even judge myself. The title of tonight's message is Black Hole Ego. Black Hole Ego. I've got a picture of a black hole. A black hole is a region of space where the gravitational pull is so strong that nothing, not even light, can escape it. They're formed when massive stars run out of fuel and collapse in on themselves, creating something with so much density and zero volume. Black holes are invisible, but their presence can be detected by their effects on everything else around them. Just like the ego is invisible, but its effects can be seen on everything else around it. Black hole ego. Because I think there's a black hole in our world right now. And I think it's how the world views self and how it deals with ego is a black hole that people are struggling and our world is struggling to escape from. And you might be there right now as, as we go through this message. You might think that's where I'm struggling to escape from this black hole in this view of self, this ego. And I believe that Jesus has the answer. 
and Paul's teaching and the scriptures can teach us and help us tonight. So you're ready to get helped? So a few more verses from 1 Corinthians chapter 4. By the way, that was two of you who said yes, so I'm in the right place. So he, he, he says this. Remember he's saying about judgment. Don't, don't bring judgment. So he says this. Don't pronounce judgment before the time, before the Lord comes, who will bring the light, sorry, bring to light the things that are hidden in darkness and will disclose the purposes of the heart. Then each one will receive commendation from God. I've applied all this, what I'm teaching, to Apollos and to myself for your benefit, brothers and sisters, so that you may learn through us the meaning of the saying, nothing beyond what is written, so that none of you will be puffed up in favor of one against the other. Paul is speaking, and I'm speaking tonight to people who have a heart to follow Jesus. And he's talking about the ego and he's talking about our view of self. And he says, I need to write these things to you, yes, because of the problem, but more importantly, because I don't want anyone to get puffed up. I don't want anyone to get overinflated. This word puffed up, some translations say proud or pride, But it's not the normal Greek word that's used in the Bible for pride, which is hubris. And you may have heard that, but he uses a different word, physiou. And it means overinflated. And he uses it five times in this book and once in another one of his letters, the Colossians. And no other writer in the New Testament uses it. It's an idea that's kind of unique to Paul. And it means to be bloated, to be full of air. And we've all seen, haven't we, where organs, the picture is organs in the body that get distended, I think it's called, isn't it? Overinflated. There's something wrong with them and they become overinflated and puffed up. You see, the problem isn't a low self-esteem or too much self-esteem. And although both of those are certainly a result of how our view of self works, On the one hand, you've got the low self-esteem. On the other hand, you've got an overinflated view. But the root of the condition is the state of our ego, how we view ourselves, our sense of self-esteem. And this image of being bloated and a bloated ego suggests several things about the normal condition of the human ego. Are you still with me? Yes. Amen. Four things it says about the normal sense of the human ego. The first is that it's empty. It's empty. It's just full of air. There's nothing of substance. There's emptiness at the center of our view of self and ego. Soren Kierkegaard, a philosopher, says this. It is the normal state of the human heart to try to build its identity around something besides God. We all try and find self-worth in stuff, don't we, in things. The Bible calls it perhaps spiritual pride, where we think that we are competent to run our own lives, to do it our way, to achieve our own self-worth. And we're able, we think, to find a purpose big enough to give us meaning, and we're able to do all of that without God. And Paul is saying to us, 
that shows us that our ego, our view of ourselves is actually at the center empty. There's an emptiness because we're trying to fill that emptiness. The second thing that this tells us, this picture of bloating, of being over uh, inflated means is that it's painful. That this search for our worth and overinflated ego is painful. Have we ever thought about the fact that you don't notice parts of your body till there's something wrong with it? I mean, when was the last time you chatted about your elbow? But if you bang your elbow and you have pain in your elbow, you talk about it, won't you? But you only notice your elbow when there's something wrong with it. The only reason we talk about our image, ourselves, is because it's painful. There's something not quite right. You see, when we're walking around, we're not just usually thinking about how fantastic our toes are. I mean, when was the last time you thought that? But I've got a, a little problem on my little, little toe, and I sometimes feel it. And uh, I think about the problem. I think about my toes when I feel the pain. By the way, elbows are a great illustration. I remember going to a conference once and where they, uh, you know, it was a full-on conference. It was a whole week and everybody were tired at the end. And the leader of the conference got up and, um, and she was addressing the conference and she said, you know, our team are absolutely worn out. We've been flat out all week. We've been flat out for weeks putting this conference together. It was a conference uh, for around 20,000 people. And she said, it's really been full on and the team are worn out, etc. And she said, so now we've got this little saying, when somebody asks us, how are we doing? We just reply, my elbows are okay. My elbows are okay. You see, our, the parts of our body only draw attention to themselves if there's something wrong with them. And that's why our ego often hurts. That's why we feel pain. Because there's something wrong. Think about it. It's hard, isn't it, to get through a day without feeling snubbed or ignored or stupid or getting down on ourselves, feeling like we like something. This is because there's something wrong with our ego. The third thing is our ego is busy. It's, it's busy, it's active all the time, it's hem empty, it's painful, and it's busy. In other words, it's always drawing attention to itself. It's incredibly busy trying to fill this emptiness that it knows is at the center. And it's incredibly busy doing two things in particular in order to do this, comparing and boasting. Isn't that true? We compare and we boast. And Paul, in these verses that we read, actually uses this little phrase where he says, you will not take pride in one man over against another. In other words, you won't compare one leader against another leader and you won't boast about being discipled by one leader over and against another because that's what the ego does, compares and boasts. And that's what it means Sorry, that's the essence of what it means to have the normal human ego that we try and fill. We get busy trying to fill this emptiness and deal with discomfort by comparing itself to other people all the time. It's a black hole that we can get sucked into. And, but when we're in it, we can't get out of it. 
But I've got good news tonight. There's another way. There's a different way to think about all of these things. And I'm so glad about that. C.S. Lewis, great Christian writer, said, that, said this. He says, pride, we could say ego or a bloated ego, gets no pleasure out of having something, only out of having more of it than the next person. We say that people are proud of being rich or clever or good-looking, but they're not. They're actually proud of being richer or cleverer or better-looking than the person sat next to them. If everyone else became equally rich or clever or good-looking, there'd be nothing to be proud about. In other words, we're only proud of being more successful or more intelligent or having more stuff or more good-looking than the next person. And when we're in the presence of someone who is more successful, intelligent and good-looking than we are, our ego gets deflated. Deflated, inflated. Deflated, inflated. Instagram, deflated, inflated. All of us experience this because our ego is busy comparing and boasting all the time. And then the last thing that this picture of being bloated, inflated, talks about our view of self is that it's fragile. Our ego is fragile. You've heard it said about some people, that's a fragile person in life. Well, all of us have fragility. Um, that fragility is because our ego is afraid of losing what it has. Yeah. One more illustration with the balloon. Because we know that even when we're inflated, we could become deflated, yeah. don't we? Yeah. You're not convinced, so I'm going to show you. Pray for me in this moment. Not sure it's worked. Talk amongst yourselves. We all know that even when we're looking around and we're thinking, thank God I'm not like that person, or thank God I'm doing well, or thank God our ego is fragile because we know what was inflated can actually become deflated. I want to quote that great theologian, Madge, Madonna. Madonna said this in an interview in Vogue. My <laughs> My oh, by the way, whoever it was who cheered so loud for Imagine Conference, I want us to give that person a round of applause. Come on, because we should all be cheering like that, shouldn't we? Anyway, back to theology with Madge, Madonna. She said, my driving life comes from a fear of being mediocre. That is always pushing me. I push past one spell of it and I discover that I am myself as a special human being, but then I feel that I'm still mediocre and uninteresting unless I do something else. Because even though I have become somebody, I still have to prove that I am somebody 
My struggle has never ended, and I guess it never will. What a way to live. I wonder if Jesus has got a better way for us to live. Now, I want to tell you, Madonna is not any worse than anyone else. In fact, Madonna in this quote, as I read it, is self-aware. She knows herself, but she knows her ego cannot be satisfied. Her sense of self, that grappling for self-worth, cannot be fully satisfied. And so our ego is these four things from this picture. It's empty. Ultimately, there's nothing of substance inside it. It's painful. We notice it. We're, we notice it because it creates pain. And we're busy trying to compare and, and also boast so that we can, like, you know, just inflate this ego. And then we're, it's fragile because we know that what was inflated can be lost. And that's the normal state of the human ego. And it's what Paul is talking about to these people. And they're looking at Paul and they're saying, we were just arguing about, I like Paul, I like Apollos, I like Peter. And you've gone really deep on us. And you might be thinking the same thing tonight. Well, I've got good news, I'm nearly finished. You might be thinking, so what's the answer? I'm glad you asked. I think there's three things that we can take from this. The first is this, stop judging even ourselves. All the time we're judging, aren't we? We're comparing and boasting and we're judging others. And all the time we're judging ourselves. I told you last week that I spoke at a conference. conference I spoke Friday and Saturday. One message on Friday night, two messages on Saturday. Here's how I think it went. So the first message on Friday night, like it was outstanding. I, I just like, I thought I was brilliant, you know, like I thought I was, that was the best message of the whole conference. You can see what I'm doing here, can't you? I'm comparing. But it was, that's how I felt about it. The second message, it was a teaching message and I sat on a stool and I taught the conference and I did what I wanted to do. I was happy with the way I delivered it, etc. The third message, I didn't feel I gave it my best. I didn't feel I did my best. What am I doing all the time? I'm judging myself. And Paul says, don't judge. Don't judge others. Don't even judge yourself. Look, look what he says in 1 Corinthians 4.3. I care very little if I am judged by you or any human court. Indeed, I do not even judge myself. Now, I don't think there's anything wrong with evaluation, somebody evaluating or our self-evaluation of how we do to improve. But evaluation is not judgment. Because when I judge myself, I make a value judgment of how much worth I am and how much value I have. So on Friday night at that conference, I'm the man, I'm the bishop. I'm the, I'm the apostle to the nations that's how I'm judging myself. Saturday morning, I'm the teacher of God's people. Saturday afternoon, I might be over. I might have lost it. I'm judging myself. I'm evaluating myself. And Paul says, don't get lost in that black hole. Don't judge others. Don't judge 
yourselves. Stop judging. Stop judging yourself. Stop judging others. Stop judging me. So Paul has to be super strong about it in the sense that I don't really care what you think about me because I don't, I don't care what outsiders think about me and I don't even care what I think about me. That's revolutionary, isn't it? Don't judge. Don't even judge yourself. The second thing is, think about ourself less. C.S. Lewis, in that um, passage or in that book that I quoted earlier, says this, humility is not thinking less of ourselves, but thinking of ourselves less. Because we feel the pain because we are thinking about ourselves. Because it's all about me. It's all about me. Why did I feel the pain? I'm being vulnerable and I'm being open. I'm using it as an illustration because I need one and I've not got any others. Why did I feel pain after that third message? Because I'm thinking about me. I should be thinking about what God's doing in the life of the people. I should be thinking about others and the ability to contribute to others. He says this, Lewis, I've not got it on the screen, but he says, if you were to meet a truly humble person, You'd never come away from that meeting thinking they were humble. They would not always be telling us that they were a nobody because the person who keeps saying they're a nobody is actually self-obsessed. They're thinking about themselves. I'm a nobody, I'm a nobody, I'm nothing, I'm just little old me, I'm I'm just no one. That's self-obsession, he says. The thing we would remember from meeting a truly humble person would be how much they seem to be totally interested in us. Wow. I think this is revolutionary. And I have to tell you, I want this revolution. Because the next time I speak at a conference, and I've got three messages, and I do a message where I think I've like blown it, I want to think, How's the people doing? I don't want to think about me. I don't want to think about I'm over, I'm done. Maybe I've lost the anointing. You know, maybe I I actually don't want to judge. Even me. Even me. So humility is not needing to think about myself, not needing to connect things with myself. I don't have to connect my feelings even with myself. Or criticism, I don't have to connect your, your criticism or anyone else's criticism. Not that you criticize me, you're fantastic. It's an honor. We love this church and we love leading this church. But you don't have to connect that criticism to myself. We'll see why in a moment. In fact, Paul tells us why. Galatians chapter 2, verses 19 to 20. I have been crucified with Christ. Yeah. And it's no longer I who live, but it's Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Have I been speaking for a long time? Because I'm on minus two minutes, so I better get a a riddle on, hadn't I? And finished. Wrong time, wrong time. 
somebody in the back room's got an appointment and they've got a date later, haven't they? They, they need to get out of here. They're going, to the, they're going for a meal. They're going for Weatherspoons or something later on. I hope this is coming across okay on the podcast. Anyway, I'm almost done. You see, Paul says, I'm crucified with Christ. So the question isn't about me. The question's about him. So when I feel those feelings, those emotions, my question is, what's Jesus doing right now? What does he want to say? How does he want to speak? How can I lean into him? How can I know him? Like truly following Jesus is completely revolutionary. Completely revolutionary, I think. And the final thing, and I know the band are coming back right now. Because if it's Tom Bray who's put that time on, I don't want him to be late. I love Tom. I was, uh, I was watching the football yesterday, Arsenal, and we've got a little Arsenal WhatsApp group and Tom Bray's in it. The problem is I was, watching, I was watching the football and my stream was about three minutes behind. So like on the, on the WhatsApp, I kept getting these notifications. Arsenal were 2-0 down. And then it was 2-1, and I knew it was 2-1, two minutes before I saw the goal. Then I knew it was 2-2, and then I knew we'd won the game two minutes before. So thanks for ruining it, Tom. <laughs> That's awesome. I hope this has spoken to you tonight, and I hope, I hope as I close, close out, uh, it, it speaks to us in this moment. So... So where does all this lead us? I think it leads us to we have to get our identity constantly from God's view, from God's perspective. I don't want to be on this merry-go-round, this uh, microwave (laughs) plate of just judging, comparing, contrasting, inflation, deflation. I don't want to be on that forever. And I know that Sunday nights we have loads of young people. I don't want you want to live your life because you can live for decades in that place. I don't want you to do that. I want you to know tonight that God has a view about you, that you are loved completely, that you are accepted, that you are chosen, that you are forgiven. And our world is stuck in this black hole and it has no idea, I don't think, how to get out of this black hole. And the only answer to it is accept God's view. And so for us, let's, let's be interested primarily, predominantly in God's view of our life. I love what um, when Jesus is baptized in Matthew 3, 17. It says this, and a voice from heaven said this, this is my son, whom I love, with whom I'm well pleased. And the father says that about Jesus before he's performed a miracle, before he's preached a sermon, before he's done anything. The only thing he's done is get lost when he was 12. I mean, that's all he's done up to this point. But the father, excuse me. Thanks, Jeannie. You enjoyed that, didn't you? That was my ego just disappearing and just coming out of me. Do you know, I've never burped in a message before. 
I'm going on my honeymoon in 10 days. I'm demob happy, aren't I? I mean, it's just all happening anyway. Yeah, so. <sighs> Back to the scriptures. This is my son, whom I love, in whom I'm well pleased. Do you know that God says that about you as well? And you might be wrestling with that because you might think, oh no, that's the Father talking about Jesus. But Paul teaches us in 1 Corinthians 6, 17, whoever is united with the Lord is one with him in spirit. In other words, what God thinks about Jesus, he thinks about you. The love that God has for Jesus, he has for you. The pleasure that God has in Jesus, he has in you because we are in Christ. He not only has united us with Christ, in Ephesians it said that he seated us with him in heavenly places. You've got two addresses. I don't know what your home address is. Please don't shout it out. And uh, you never know who's in the building. And uh, your home addresses. But you've got that address, but then you've got another address that you are seated with Christ in heavenly places. And so what the Father thinks of Jesus, he thinks about you. And you say, oh, yeah, like, like Paul, that's like nice preachy stuff. But I want to tell you, it's not preachy stuff. It's revolution, revolutionary stuff. And it's what we should believe. And that's why Paul writes. Because this is, this is a big idea for Paul. He's kind of grasped this idea of the human, the thought of self and ego. He's grasped this, a big idea. And that's why he writes this. There is no condemnation. There's no judgment for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has made me free from the law of sin and death. In other words, God has set you free from all that comparison, from all that inflation, deflation, inflation, deflation, up, down, inflation, deflation. You have been set free because you are now in Christ and none of that matters. The only thing that matters is how God views you, what God says about you tonight. You are chosen. You are called. You are forgiven. You are righteous. Not because you are brilliant. You are not brilliant. But because Jesus is brilliant. And you have been united with him. You are righteous. You are loved. You are justified. The verdict is in. You've been tried. You've been in the courtroom. And you were there. And you knew you were guilty. And you were waiting for the hammer to fall. And the judge to say, guilty as charged. But Jesus took the charge. Jesus took the penalty and he said not guilty. And so Paul says this to the Corinthians. I preach in evaluation or say I played with the balloon too much. Paul says this, I am not who you say I am. I am not who the world says I am. You might have some labels at school, at college, at university, at work. People might have put, tried to put labels on you, even in your family. You are not who they say you are. Paul takes it a step further. I'm not even who I say I am. I am who you say I am.
Come on, let's stand to our feet. We're going to worship. So in application, in closing tonight, I'm going to hand on to the team for us to worship. And I want you to receive this truth tonight. We can stop judging. No more judging. Don't judge others. Don't have this inflation, deflation, deflation, deflation. And you're going to experience it. You're still going to feel the pain of the ego. But remember, you're in Christ. You're in Christ. None of that, none of that really matters. So stop judging. Think about yourself less. Not think less of yourself, but think about yourself less. And link that in every circumstance. That like what matters is not, I, I'm, I'm not the center of this world right now. Jesus is, I am crucified with Christ. And find our identity from God's perspective. So we thank you, Lord, tonight. We thank you, Lord, tonight that we are not who people say we are. We are not the labels. We are not the experience. We're not the past. We're not what's happened to us. We're not who the world says we are. They might think, say we're crazy, that we're fallen, that we're broken, that we're whatever. They might put these labels upon us, but we are not who the world says we are. We're not even who we say we are. Father God, in our criticism or our inflation of ourselves. But today, tonight, we celebrate that I am who you say I am. Come on, would you say it with me? I am who you say I am. One more time. I am who you say I am. Let's pray.